Welcome to The Common Share, a podcast about cooperative businesses. I'm Asa Marshall with Cooperatives First, an organization that promotes co-op business development in rural and Indigenous communities across Western Canada. We're recording in Saskatoon on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. Today on The Common Share, we have a great discussion about childcare challenges in Canada and how daycare cooperatives can help alleviate some of the pressure on childcare in this country. We spoke to Dr. Jen Budney, who received her PhD in public policy from the Johnson Shoyama Graduate School of Public Policy at the University of Saskatchewan. She is currently a research associate at the Canadian Centre for the Study of Cooperatives. Dr. Budney also served for several years as chair of the board at the Spadina Early Learning and Child Care Cooperative, Saskatoon's oldest licensed child care facility. So if you live in an area that has insufficient child care options or child care is something that you care about, this is a great episode for you. So here's my conversation with Jen. What are the biggest challenges that Canada has in terms of childcare? Well, Canada doesn't have a childcare, um, universal childcare policy in place at this at the moment. The, the Liberal government is, is hoping to at least bring all of the provinces on board with uh, some kind of federally assisted plan to provide higher quality, uh, more accessible childcare for Canadian families. But uh, it remains to be seen whether they are reelected and uh, uh, these plans are able to be implemented in the provinces that have signed on so far. Um, for Saskatchewan, um, like most of the provinces, I would say the, the, the biggest problem is that we don't value early learning and, and childcare for those under six as a nation, we don't prioritize it, we don't see it as important, and we don't see the work of the childcare providers as valuable either. So um, this is our, our biggest hurdle, I think, is, is first uh, you know, conceptual, ideological, mental, somehow understanding that these years between zero and six are absolutely crucial for the healthy development of children. And, and we need, as a nation, to ensure that all children have access to that high quality care in those early years for the children's sake for society's sake down the the long the long run this is if if children end up in kindergarten behind in key areas of development these can have long-term negative implications for their their outcomes in in many areas i think people don't realize that that out of all the OECD nations, Canada ranks the lowest in terms of quality and accessibility of childcare. And in Canada, Saskatchewan ranks the lowest of all the provinces. Saskatoon, the entire city of Saskatoon is considered to be a childcare desert. But of course, small towns, rural and remote regions have a really hard time with this as well. So I think that what we have experienced is such a long period of time where we have, we've gotten so used to childcare being a struggle, uh, being too expensive, hard to find, you know, you end up on these waiting lists that no one ever calls you back on. Um, sometimes they, you just can't find a place where you'd feel like your child is safe to put them because all that's left are some, you know, really fringe um, private households, right? All the licensed childcare centers are done. This isn't normal. This isn't, this isn't the best we can do. This is the result of, of chronic underfunding and undervaluing of, of a, of a childcare system in this province. So when people are struggling in Saskatchewan, it's because our, our province is doing very poorly 
in this area. Yeah. Wow. So how, and I mean, now we've gone through, you know, a year and a half, almost two years of a global pandemic. Has that exposed more, you know, gaps and weaknesses in our childcare system, do you think? I think that it it heightened awareness of the problems in our system and and it's a it's a tough question to answer in some ways because one of the crunches that people were feeling when the pandemic hit was not having a uh, not being able to find childcare for their school age children. So so that's suddenly their kids were at home, not in school, and they were expected to con- continue working either outside of the house or inside of the house, and they couldn't find a place for their children. Well, the the early childhood education system, of course is primarily not there for school-aged children. It's for children zero to six. But the, but, the, but the crisis of the pandemic, combined with the fact that a lot of childcare centers ended up closing down, um, a lot of parents pulled their, their youngest children out of daycare. Mm-hmm. But there were also a lot of questions around uh, the safety of the workers, the safety of the childcare settings, um, so I, I was at the time on the board of Spadina Early Learning and uh, Child Care Cooperative, which is Saskatoon's oldest licensed child care center. And we have four locations in the city of Saskatoon, mostly in the core neighborhoods, with about, oh, I don't know, um, 260 children in total, I would say, mm-hmm. and about 57 staff. So it's a large $2.5 million a year operation. And it was... Uh, we were in an absolute panic when the when the pandemic struck because we didn't know what we were we did not have the the reserves to pay all the staff for time off or to lay them off and and pay them out as required by our contracts and we couldn't keep all the spaces open because a lot of parents had pulled their kids out so it was a a very stressful time. And I think what became clear to us is that while our staff were all told that they were expected to be at work, they were considered essential workers, but their uh, salaries and their benefits don't reflect that, much as as grocery store workers were declared essential workers and, and their salaries are low as well. But in this case, because of the interdependency, I guess, between the workers and the families and the centers and the families, uh, it became uh, uh, a more interesting kind of hot topic. Yeah. Turning to daycare co-ops specifically, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the background of daycare co-ops and I guess specifically in Saskatchewan there, it is quite a popular model here. Yeah, Saskatchewan has the largest number of daycare cooperatives in Canada, uh, aside from Ontario, although I would say our model is a little bit different from Ontario's where there there tends to be more grassroots co-ops. And here it was actually um, in 1974 under the Family Services Act, which was the first childcare policy in the province. Um, that act established nonprofit parent-controlled centers as the, the primary delivery mechanism for childcare. So, so the reason that we have co-ops here in part is because the NDP government of that time mandated that we should have co-ops as our, our, as our licensed centers. And I would say they're kind of hybrid uh, for the most part uh, in that they do have parent boards 
but a lot of the policies and practices are not determined by the parents, but are determined by the licensing requirements of the Ministry of Education. So, so um, these are, for the most part, Saskatchewan, not grassroots, fully parent-controlled cooperatives or worker-controlled cooperatives. They're, they're something else. Um, and, and I think there's still room, though, for more grassroots co-ops to develop here. And I think that is an interesting model. It can be complicated. And, and like, like uh, many other co-ops, it can work better for uh, communities with um, some sort of resources, especially if they want to hire somebody to look after the children. Um, but there's, uh, there's a lot of logistics involved in, in sort of figuring out what structure that, that co-op could take. The whole purpose, I think, of what makes, what makes the, the cooperatives uh, really good as a childcare model is that parents do want to have some involvement in how their children are being taken care of during the day when they're working and uh, being able to participate on a board gives you that input and gives you that uh, assurance that that the operation, your children are being taken care of in the way that you want. Yeah, absolutely. I guess the next question was, you know, why does the co-op model work well for daycares? And you've sort of answered that with or allowing for more parental involvement, but does it have any more advantages to doing it this way? Well, so I would say that it, it works well in, in some cases and, and, it, and it would work better with better funding. So as it stands, I think there are some of these kind of hybrid uh, not-for-profit, uh, parent-run cooperatives um, in higher-income neighborhoods in, say, the city of Saskatoon or Regina, where you have a, uh, a high degree of parent participation on the boards and uh, generally high salaries, so those centers can set their fees uh, at a, a higher and that provides more money for staff, more money for programming, things like field trips or toys and books and new furnishings and that kind of thing. In, in the case of uh, childcare cooperatives in low income neighborhoods, there tends to be less parental involvement. Families are more stretched for time. They're often led by single parent families and, and, and those parents don't have the time to participate on a board. And fees necessarily must be set lower to be able to serve the, the local community. And as a result, then, um, there's less money available for things like programming because they'll get the same amount of money per child from the government. And that's not a lot of money. Um, the other problem is, is in, the, in the centers that have lower fees to serve their local communities, because the, the current subsidy that's offered by the Ministry of Social Services, uh, the maximum subsidy still has parents paying 10% of the childcare fees. In the centers that charge a lot, low-income families can't afford that 10% at all. So the parents who are in subsidies necessarily have to go to the, the centers in the lower-income neighborhoods. And those tend to be closer to their homes anyway. But as a result, with the subsidy program because of the inefficiencies and in how it's administered, there's a lot of non-payment that results. Mm -hmm. And so, so those centers accrue bad debt and it's inevitable. They will accrue bad debt, their parents default, they don't pay. 
And this doesn't happen in other parts of the town. So I'd say the co-op model, the way it works right now, has built in um, and, and perpetuates some of the existing inequalities that we see across our, our cities and our regions. We've been lucky to work with a few more sort of grassroots uh, daycare co-ops in other provinces where it's less common, where it didn't have this you know, government incentive initially to set them up. So we worked with a group in a small town in Alberta. We couldn't find example of another daycare co-op anywhere in Alberta. So we think no, it might have been the first one. It, it probably was. Alberta is almost 100% for profit. Yeah. 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 So, you know, this small town where they'd never had a daycare center and parents had obviously like just always cobbled together childcare somehow. And yeah, I finally realized that a co-op was a way that they could they could create that for themselves. And and another one in BC is is starting up as well. I think BC has better funding or has recently. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so that's something that I think we now that takes that takes some some work, but when parents can't find quality childcare or childcare they're comfortable with, when the licensed centers are all full, uh, when they can't find a day home that they like. If they have a, it can be a small, just a handful of other families that they uh, seem to share the same kind of values and standards of childcare with, they can work together to create their own at-home childcare co-op, either with a single paid employee that all families contribute to, or even having, if there's one parent from each family that can be at home one day a week and you have five families, uh, then they can basically take turns and share expenses. And that in itself is a co-op. It's a very simple form of co-op. Yeah. So, so, so there's other things that people can do. They can invent their own cooperatives to fill, to fill their, the, these, these huge gaps that we have in the system right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, again, especially for rural um, or indigenous communities, it doesn't have to be a huge undertaking necessarily. It can be done in a really small ground up kind of way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are there other challenges to, you know, running a daycare? Oh, no, there's, there's always challenges and, and governance is a, a huge one. I think at the childcare cooperatives that we have here in Saskatchewan. So, um, not only do you not, uh, it's hard, it can be hard to find board members who want to contribute and you get all the same problems of, of personalities around a table. And uh, there can be tensions between parents who want to keep fees low and employees who want to uh, see fees increase so that their salaries can increase. In the best boards, you see parents, and I've seen this, really working hard to find salary ways to increase the salaries of staff because they know that if you increase salaries, you're more likely to get the good people to stay. And so it's in the best interest of your children to increase the salaries when you can. But the often the 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 bonuses that come along from the the province have been able to result in in certain class of staff members getting say a 1% salary increase in a year, not even keeping up with the cost of living. Um, I would say too, because of the education requirements for early childhood educators in the province, which covers a lot of the, it covers childcare, it doesn't cover 
management, uh, strategic management, and all of these things that you want to see in an executive director, there can be those kinds of, uh, I think those sorts of weaknesses in terms of uh, leadership from the executives um, are present in the system in a way that they may not be in other systems where different kinds of training are available. Uh, so that's something that hopefully with the new money, should the implementation proceed with this federal childcare funding, that it will address some of the uh, education needs of childcare workers as well. Yeah. So I, this has kind of maybe been a thread through what we've been talking about generally, Jen, but under what conditions might a daycare co-op form, say if it was sort of in that more grassroots sort of way, mm-hmm. like what would inspire people to do all the hard work of getting a co-op started? Well, I think if you are in a location where childcare is hard to find, and that covers a lot of territory in this province, but particularly in smaller towns where there may not be a critical mass of, of families who want childcare, um, who can populate an actual childcare center, um, or any single individual who thinks they can make a go of it and run a private at-home center to make a living off of that. Because I think we talk about these, these home centers being for profit, but they're not huge profits and there's a lot of risk involved. Um, if you can find a, a group of families, and it can be a very small group, it can be three, two other families in your own, to pool resources somehow, whether it is pooling locations and moving kids around, uh, it could be um, having one of the parents stay at home and the other families agree to pay. Um, it could be moving the kids from site to site over the course of the week and, and, and one family you know, volunteering for a day or two a week to look after the kids. If people are able, if people work shift work, um, if you have a community of, of, of women who work shift work and they can somehow agree to, to trade their kids during shift times, especially single moms. There's a million ways that you could imagine doing a childcare cooperative. It doesn't have to be purely nine to five, always in the same place. I guess that's the beauty of starting a co-op yourself is you build it around what the needs of the people who start it are mm-hmm. or the, the needs of the specific community that it's in. Absolutely. And so where I see potential for that is, is having a uh, child care cooperative for shift workers, um, figuring out, and it may be irregular use of, of this co-op, but some system could be devised that would make this sustainable. Um, and then also there are, I know, um, uh, FSIN is, is working on, and Gabriel Dumont is working on their own child care centers for Indigenous, for First Nations and Métis kids, but there's no reason why any cultural community could not, including First Nations, including Métis, could not form their own culturally appropriate childcare cooperatives outside of those larger systems um, so that children can be educated in in the ways that families want. Mm -hmm. Do you think daycare co-ops have an important role to play in addressing challenges in the daycare system. And I think you've started to speak to that already, but. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and again, you know, in terms of scale, they, they, um, unless they are become eligible for funding and unless funding in the province increases, they're gonna have to remain very small, these co-ops if they're grassroots. Um, I think that, I think that 
that we this needs to be something that we continue to talk about even when the funding comes through we'll likely find that it's not enough and implementation of these kinds of programs is always challenging and so we may see that it's not working out the way that we imagined but i i think that um having parents involved the uh, in co cooperatives looking after their children is a great way for us to remind ourselves that it really is for the children and and if it's not something that puts the if, if it doesn't put the children first i would say um, it's not going to be successful in the long run so people are worried about institutionalization of their children in 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 larger centers my experience has been that these places are really nourishing for children um, and and uh, but it's only because we currently have saints in there so so we we just need to put more resources into the system in general and and co-ops should be an essential part of this i don't think i agree with the the federal policy that um the money should not go to to for-profit centers larger for-profit centers i think that the profit motives needs to stay out of this completely you're obviously um, based in Saskatchewan and, and you're most familiar with the with the system here. But do you know, like, is there a Western province who does have some some better policies that maybe others should be thinking about? Are you well, um, Alberta, as far as I know, has has continued to opt out of this federal agreement, which is is really too bad. And in terms of economic impact. Um, although I, I want to avoid talking about that too much because I don't think it should be our first priority here. I think it will have a negative impact on Alberta. I think once all other provinces across the country have a, a, a healthy amount of $10 a day childcare spaces and Alberta does not have any, uh, it's going to be a disincentive for people to move there uh, and, and, and try to um, build careers and build industries. So, um, and people may even move out. People wanting something good for their families may move out of the province. So I, I hope that they do get on board at some point. Um, British Columbia has, prior to the federal announcement, um, looked again at its childcare policies and has made a number of really good changes to lower fees for parents. I know in Vancouver, it was horribly expensive for, for families to find childcare. So, um, so British Columbia right now is doing better than the other Western provinces. But again, Canada's got a long way to go and, 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 it, and it really comes down to values and what we think are important. And I think that we actually have done uh, a very poor job of taking care of our most vulnerable here, our youngest, zero to six, and our elderly population as well. And the pandemic uh, brought both of those problems to light. So um, if if it becomes an opportunity that we that we really um, use to make positive changes, then maybe that's the kick in the butt we needed. But it's too bad that we we uh, we had to get a kick to figure it out. Yeah, and so I mean, what government policies? If you want to talk about the ten dollar a day policy or other government policies that you think need to be changed to just address the needs of Canadian parents? Well, you know, I, I, again, I think that the, what I'd really like to see is that we create a childcare system that addresses the needs of Canadian children. And, and, um, and I, I think that that is not how, how the current 
policies are being framed, but I'd really like to see that, especially in Saskatchewan, where we have such extremes in uh, extreme disparity um, between people who have plenty and people who don't have enough to survive on. And I think that a high quality accessible uh, early childhood education program that that targets those communities most in need, low-income families first, uh, is essential and could go a long way in, in addressing over the long-term some of the, the um, persistent inequalities that we have here in Saskatchewan. So, so that's a lot of, there's a lot of work there. And I think because, I think because, you know, this is, part of the Liberal Party's uh, re-election campaign that they're trying to speak to middle-class Canadians. I, I, their, message, their messaging has nothing to do with rectifying inequality. It's, a, it's, about, it's about serving parents and, and getting mums into the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that, I don't, that I don't think should be the ultimate goal. Thank you for joining us. For more on us and what we do, visit cooperativesfirst.com. If you need resources for starting your own co-op, check out coopcreator.com. It's a great resource site that has everything you need to get a co-op up and running. To give us your thoughts on anything we discussed in this episode, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter as coops underscore first. Join us next time on The Common Share.